Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody. Here we are again. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world i'm gabe sitting here with chris <laughs> chris it's been a minute <laughs> i'm a couple years older uh life is still good yeah no you know we've been whatever we got stuff going on you know i don't think people time their watch to this so that's fine but uh, we'll pop in when we can and we got together today and that's all that matters that's right and uh you know i i mean we're both as as the boys would say we're both busy with our shooters so you know thanks <laughs> we're both entrepreneurs so right. <laughs> sometimes that takes precedent over wrestling podcasts you know, yes it, it will me making actual money will take precedent over this anytime <laughs> spoiler alert on that folks but we're glad to be sitting here with you guys checking in we're going to do a whole great episode we're going to talk about um uh, casey beyond the mat we're going to talk about billy howard we're going to talk about the latest news and adventures in the world of pro wrestling chris it, there has been so much that's transpired since our, our little hiatus here, but I'm so glad that we get, get a chance to get together. We get to talk about your movie, Casey on the mat. Um, give us a little preamble of, of what we're going to be kind of covering when we talk about Casey on the mat. Well, I wanted to talk about that this week because as we were talking about what we were going to be going over on the show, uh, one thing that happened this week was the passing of Billy Howard, who was a guy that was featured on Casey on the mat and I believe, if my records are correct, Gabe, that Billy Howard is the final and last pro wrestler who I interviewed for that documentary back in 2007, 2008 that uh, was still alive. And now that he is gone, there I think John Cone, who, of course, was a I believe he's still an executive with the WWE referee slash talent relations guy. He was so. on there and. And, uh, you know, maybe a couple others. But as far as like old school Central States workers, he was the final one, Billy Howard. Wow. And, um, you know, I had just been talking with him since we started doing this podcast. I kept telling you, like, I'm trying to get Billy Howard on. Um, he was dealing with some advanced COPD. So uh, he sounded pretty bad. And like we he, he wanted to do it. Then he'd cancel at the last second saying that it just wasn't a good day because, I mean, breathing treatments. There's a lot of stuff yeah. going on yeah. with his uh, health at that time. So. Uh, sorry to see Billy Howard go and we'll talk a little bit more about him, but he was a great guy. Anyway, it made me think about Casey on the mat. We haven't really talked about that in depth on here, but no. back in 2006, seven, I had gotten my feet wet pretty hard with, uh, Metro sports here. And I was getting some credibility there enough to where I could start working on some stuff outside of the ring or outside of the ring, outside of the television studio. And I wanted to start doing some wrestling stuff. And really at the time game, and I think I've told you this, the reason why I wanted to do Casey on the mat is a documentary about central States wrestling history was because they were all starting to get pretty old. And, you know, in wrestler years, once somebody hit 65, you're like, um, you know, it's like a hundred in normal people time. So, uh, you know, I didn't really know what was going to happen with some of these guys. Harley, even even though Harley at the time wasn't, you know, in younger than health. my father is now, uh, but he just he just wasn't. You know, his body was falling apart. Yeah. Um, Bob Geigel was getting to be in his mid to late eighties. You know, so I, I Casey on the mat came from just hey, I need to do this as soon as I can, and uh, that's why I started interviewing all these guys and. Um, 
thankfully I did because they're all, you know, that, that's sort of lost to history now. And I look back at that documentary now and I have thoughts on what I would have done differently, but um, Casey on the mat basically spurred uh, Metro pro wrestling out of that, which then spurred NWL. So it's all part of central States, Kansas city wrestling history. So I wanted to just go a little bit deeper on that documentary uh, and if it, anyone wants to see it, it's on YouTube. I think several people, uh, including on Worst Territory in the World's YouTube channel, but I think it's been pirated for many, many years, and it's on YouTube as Casey on the Mat. Awesome. It was NWL the promotion you ran into the ground single-handedly? I single-handedly made every financial decision and blew the thing up in a year and a half. But um, You know, because everything uh, I read namaste. on Twitter is namaste, correct. Namaste, Gabe. Namaste. I am centered over here, and everything is cool. <laughs> everything i read on twitter is correct so you ran you of ran course. nwl into the ground congratulations I, I i just wish people weren't so stupid but you know that's <laughs> you know? Uh, that is a, that that's something i say every day and i can't <laughs> fix everybody so whatever yeah all right so let's talk about the latest news from the world of pro wrestling that was the best one i've done yet good, all right first and foremost chris I want you to watch something. I'm going to spring this on you right now because I told you I wanted. I had a little bit of a surprise for you. Now, Ready? let me do a screen share here. Uh, let's see. Share screen. Uh, let's go here and let's go share. Can you see this, Chris? Yes, I can. All right. There has been a lot of movies. Have you seen this yet? I watched it today. Okay. So there's been a lot of movie, and we're going to watch it together. There's been a lot of movies about pro wrestling, whether it's documentaries, Beyond the Mat, Casey, your documentary, um, The Wrestler, which I would say is maybe the greatest fictional, quote unquote, like movie, big production about the pro wrestling business. Wrestling with shadows. I mean, there's been, there's right. been a ton. Yeah, There's been a ton of documentaries, but not a lot of mainstream features. Uh, Heels was on Stars Network. And I don't know if you watched that, but it was, it was actually pretty good. It's actually pretty good. But anyways, what we're going to play right now for the fans and you, I want to get your reaction to this. So I'm glad, I'm glad you've seen this, but I want to watch it together. We're going to watch the official trailer that came out just four hours ago for the Iron Claw. So let's go ahead and... And fans, if you want to watch this, go to your favorite YouTube. All right, hold on. Here we go. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Perry, I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Now, we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. What do you like to do with your brothers? Together, we can do anything. We're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. The hands that were passed down to us. The hands that will deliver the iron clock to you. So 
So what do you think? Like, we're alive. I love your family, Kevin. Don't be your uncle? Yes, sir. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. I talked to you about something, Mom. Dad's too tough on us. You gotta say something. Baby, that's what your brothers are for. Feel that? Ah. You feel that? Ah. That's pressure. I'm gonna push you too hard. I'm fine, Kev. Seriously, I'm just sick. I'm scared, man. It all out of control. I need to think about my family. Your job is to wrestle. Live up to that deal, or we are through. I told you to look out for it! I just love being out there with you guys. It's the only thing that matters to me. The Bonner will forever be the greatest family in the history of wrestling. All right, Chris, so we just saw the trailer of Iron Claw. Now, I'm going to go I'm going to go with my thoughts and I want to get your thoughts. First of all, has an amazing soundtrack. Cinematography looks on point. The guys' bodies, everything, the drum from the trailer, I think this could beat the wrestler as the best non-documentary ever made about pro wrestling. It looks well, for me looks phenomenal. It Surprisingly, is sort of a documentary though. Huh? It's not it's not fictional, so it's somewhat of a documentary. Yeah, I mean so it's a docudrama or whatever you want to call it, but it's not like it's not a it's not a documentary in the traditional sense. So I for me, I think it looks like it could be one of the best wrestling movies ever made. For me. My first question is who the hell is playing Michael P.S. Hayes? Because that would have been a really hard one to get right because he is right. unbelievably unique. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. Zach Efron. Uh, I have seen pictures of him while they were shooting this and he is jacked. Uh, jacked. They got him on some, they got him on some vegetables and water. They, you know, he's on some, uh, he's real clean. He's, he's on clean the rocks diet of just like chicken. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just chicken and working out, uh, you know, rock was getting uh fat sucked out of him when he was 25, but he's in great shape at 50. Anyway, I, uh, I think that uh, Zach Efron, uh, but despite looking five foot six, is uh looks like incredible uh as carrie who looked incredible too uh could you imagine getting like the part of carrie von eric i mean <laughs> to have to look like that i mean he looked dude. he looked like a greek god dude back in the day of a of the land of greek gods you know my my mom used to think that ultimate warrior and carrie von eric were the same person well they had the same build obviously yeah. with the hair and i mean if you yeah. took if you would have done, it would have been interesting to see uh, Kerry Von Erich with Warriors paint on his face if he would have looked, you know, similar <laughs> to at least like 92 Warrior when they thought Warrior died and came back. As oh, Warrior. yeah, dude. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, I but I do that. think that this this does look cool. You know, I actually talked to Miranda Gordy a few weeks back and she was uh, telling me that, uh, you know, she is healthy again. And it's like perfect timing for her coming back uh, with this movie coming out, you know, um, you know, just to, to have her, you know, look, I, I'm just going with the free bird slash Von Eric stuff. I, that is legendary stuff for definitely people our age and older. Yeah. And uh, I think it's cool that the younger generation would learn about it. I think yeah. it's cool that there's second generation and third generation family members are involved in everything in world class. And uh, I think it looks really cool. I do. I, you know, I, I'm sure that wrestling Shocking. fans who 
pick apart everything on social media. We'll pick the hell out of this, you know, because that's what they did with Dark Side of the Ring and everything else that people do that have to sort of spice it up for theatrical releases. But I think it'll be good. You know, it's crazy that they're really not going to have to spice it up all too much because everybody died horrifically. Dude, I, I know this is uh, in bad taste, but have you seen? I, I always laugh. If I need a good chuckle, I'll go on YouTube and watch Lacey Von Eric when she went up and saw Million Dollar Man at some uh, convention. And she's like, Hi, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. And if you know Lacey Von Eric, that's how she talks. And he's like, Hey, how's it going? And she's like, Hey, how's it going? Oh, you wearing a WWE shirt? Huh. You know, my family lived there. And, and he goes, Yeah, they were a big part of this. And he's like, And then everybody died. And like Ted just has this look on his face, like, uh, bye. And he walks away. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Lacey, could have been a big mixed, setup. Wasn't she mixed up with that Hannibal Jack? Like, that uh, Hannibal no, she guy? was mixed up. Well, I don't know. It was all sort of intertwined. She was doing that SWE or what? one of those things, like either world class or SWE. One of those she was involved in down in Texas. Old Jerry area. Bostick. <laughs> yeah him and uh whoever you know terry teddy long whatever yeah. she was part of an indie fed that was paying a bunch of m- money to people that they wanted to be around and Lacey, who was an attractive gal was on that show and uh she was sort of like she had like a gimmick for five minutes where she um i don't know was just sort of acted like she was drunk or sort of like crazy and she would ask like crazy questions and i thought they were freaking hilarious because they were like really off color stuff but anyway, Lacey, that's her father, Carrie. And um, gosh, it's just th- how much that family spun out, you know, just with the other people that have come after them, just the legacy. I mean, we have seen as wrestling fans, we've seen this story done to death, literally and figuratively a million times. So, yeah, you know, I I think it'll be cool for it to be mainstream. I, we'll see how it goes. You know, movies today, Gabe, I don't know if you know this or not, but movies today aren't nearly what they used to be. They're in no. the theater like two weeks and then they're out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, the, I actually worked a world-class show shortly after you ran NWL into the ground. Sorry if that's the last time. I said <laughs> that. Um, and I worked for Jerry Bostick at a show in Kansas at the Cotillion. And I got to meet Kevin Von Erich and his sons, Marshall. And I forgot the other guy's name. Mm-hmm. Kevin is huge. Yeah. Height wise, like in his hands, or like the size of like my wrist right here and my hand. I mean, he's just yeah, a yeah, yeah. big, big dude. And his his sons have a lot of talent, really nice, very personable, very nice. That was also the show that I met Jake Roberts for, in person for the first time because I actually had him on a podcast of mine years and years and years and years ago. So I met him in person. He was kind of a jerk. And I also met Sid. And I saw Sid and Jake standing next to each other. And at that point in their lives, without the special boots on or whatever, they're about the same. I mean, they're big dudes. But oh, Jake's a big dude. Sid's about six seven. He was maybe an inch taller than Jake, maybe. But Jake yeah. is a tall, big dude. Big dude. I mean, Jake, Jake, I mean, Grizzly Smith was huge. So then Jake uh, is also very tall, but he just wasn't ever like, I I guess as kids, you never thought of him as, as big as someone like Hogan, just because he didn't have the physique of a Hogan or a a Sid, somebody like that. Sid, uh, Sid and uh, Razor Ramon, uh, Scott Hall, they had the two like prototypical wrestling bodies. I mean, if you wanted to look like somebody. 
Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, I wanted to get your reaction for that. I'm glad you saw the trailer. Um, let's talk about some of the news and happenings in the world. We all know CM Punk's gone, but we'll touch on this just real quick. CM Punk gets fired from AEW. A Steel, our buddy, loses his job as well. Both guys will be fine, I'm sure. Do you think CM Punk shows up at Survivor Series because they're saying one side of the room is saying he is a lock to show up at Survivor Series and the other side says there is zero chance. Chris, what is your opinion? There's no such thing as zero chance in WWE unless you're Randy Savage and that's a zero chance now. But uh, I think <laughs> I think CM Punk shows up at some point. I don't know when. I think he's going to finish his career in some kind of run with WWE. I mean, at this point, I, I, I'm not a lifelong CM Punk fan, as I've told you a million times. I just think he needs to finish it a different way. Uh, I think he has, uh, it has proven that he was an enigma for AEW. He was a guy that will uh, draw you ratings if you promote him correctly in this world of lacking stars. And um, as we'll talk about Adam Copeland going over to AEW, yep. you can't just put any, any, just anybody that was a world heavyweight champion of WWE just can't be put into AEW and made a star immediately. Uh, Edge, Jack Swagger, like anyone else that comes after them. Uh, CM Punk just has love him or hate him. People have a reaction towards him. And I think he'll go somewhere else. I do. Why would, you know, if I'm, if I'm WWE, of course I'm saying like, no, he's not coming. Like, cause you know, I think it, you want a surprise. I want a surprise. So if it right. happens, I hope uh, they keep saying he's not coming. So in a kind of comparison to what you're talking about, have you seen the collision ratings? <laughs> Yeah, they're horrible. And, yeah, me and uh, you. you know, they're they're ice cold. They are ice cold ice, right now. Ice cold. Last week, 353,000 viewers turned into tuned into collision. Now, with that being said, I mean, they've been they've, they've literally been on a steady decline since CM Punk left. Just let's let's throw that out there. That's just facts. That's just facts. Um but I don't even want to like, I don't want to get, let's not, let's even play the devil's advocate because we're friends with, with Ace and all this. Let's say that uh, CM Punk, uh, you know, even with CM Punk there, they weren't drawing like uh, record ratings. Okay. They weren't, but you right. can see with just the, just taking out someone of his stature with people that are more mainstream, have more care about him more than AEW as a company. You can see what that did. And I think with everyone that sort of understood how wrestling is now would have seen this coming to a degree of like, you know, I'm not saying that anyone in wrestling is so big that if you took them off TV, it's going to crash the company. However, uh, you know, you <laughs> well. can tell that something was going to happen with AEW. Look, man, this is all still coming off their huge show at Wembley and they all keep pointing to that. But the problem is like, and, and don't get me wrong. Raw is getting some bad ratings too. Cause it is that time of year, football, other sports, right. other things. That's what on. I was going to mention. You know, we have to be fair. Yes. And you acknowledge the fact you... that college football is on Saturday nights. We, I mean, we have a lot more going on right now. But yeah, Monday night football, there's there's stuff going on. But, but I, that's still, a I, I... that's a fifty percent decline from last time we talked, Chris. Literally a fifty percent decline. That's Remember insane. we were talking about how long it would take, or what do you think it was going to be in six months or at the end of the year or something? I, I think yeah. I said like nine, ten. You said yeah. something. I'm like. It was slowly climbing up the scale, and then it just dropped. I mean, I, people watched like that first segment after Punk was fired, and then it's gone down. And you see pictures from from uh, these house shows that AER, AEW were drawing, and like again, this is uh, not to throw you know more fire on top of the dumpster that's going on blazing now, but it's just sort of like 
I, you look and you're like, well, just don't, stop. you know, they, I know they have connections, to some of these buildings, but stop drawing, stop going to these huge buildings. I mean, that's what right. you do. Even Vince didn't do that. Vince didn't keep running 20,000 seat arenas when he was drawing 4,000 people. It looks right. horrible. No matter what you're doing, 4,000 people going to a show of AEW is still not, I mean, it's still something, you know, but yeah. it looks horrible. And when you're throwing a freaking hot dog down a hallway, you know, so that so that begs to the talk down the hallway. That's good. <laughs> I've heard that in forever. Was that sure? That was your college girlfriend's nickname. I heard. Hey, I didn't go to college until I was in my thirties. <laughs> oh, sorry. Anyways, um, so that begs the question. So we all know Adam Copeland has come in as the rated R superstar, Adam Copeland, which to me just kind of falls flat, just name wise. Right? I know they can't call yeah. him Edge. I get it. I totally get that. I'm not trying to say like, oh, they should name him something different, but I don't know. I'd almost just call him like rated the rated R superstar and just leave it at that. I think it's funny that they have the rights to rated R superstar. They obviously let that copyright die. And then Tony picked it up because the other day when I was watching the clips of the, uh, the post, the post show scrum or media scrum, you know, that are so helpful and good. Uh, when I watched those clips, like he, he said, rated R superstar, the rated R superstar, the rated R superstar. He said like 10 times. I'm like, okay, dude, I get it. You copyrighted his old nickname that he had, you know, 15 years ago. So I, I, that's what they're going to refer to him as radar superstar, which is fine. That's what he went by for part of his career. Uh, it doesn't matter if you call him Hulk Hogan, the second, it, it really doesn't matter. I've never been an Adam Copeland slash edge fan. Like I always thought he was a bit, him and Christian to me are very good guys in the ring. Very good wrestlers to have on your roster. Very helpful dudes. Very nice guys in real life. But I don't think anyone of real like if you're really telling the truth to yourself can say that even though he's an umpteen time, what it was 14, 15 time WWE champion, Edge was. Yeah, like, something like it's, that. He was never that level. He was at no. the level of he followed now, granted, in his defense, he followed like the greatest era of wrestling in the last right. hundred years. So right. uh he is never going to play up to like Austin Rock, all these people, but you know, Edge and God, there's so many people like at Edge's level, like Jericho to me. These guys are like B level superstars that were A level because of like what was happening in the era. And that's just right. what I've always thought. So Edge going over there, sure, AEW is doing what they do. They make uh, matchmaking is what they like to do. They they take, oh, Edge has never wrestled Sting or Edge has never wrestled MJF. Yeah. And they'll have matches like that, which is what they do. They put two guys together that have never wrestled and they say first time ever. That's cool. It's like an indie. You know, indies do that. But, you know, I don't know. I just don't see anything coming out of uh, Adam Copeland there. I don't. And I guess no one else did either. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to be a, a gigantic needle mover, perhaps the way Tony Khan feels. That's not taken away from the star power of Edge, because if you heard that ovation when he came out again, probably the biggest pop of the night. Um, I don't know. Did you watch any of Wrestle Dream, by the way? No, I just saw clips afterwards um, just because I wanted to see his entrance <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It's like it's you know, I think that's one of the last bastions of things that people our age like to see, like the entrances or surprises yeah. and stuff, sort of see stuff that we used to see like pretty regularly in the Monday Night Wars, yeah. you know, and now you get to see it so seldom where, you know, a CM Punk, even if you hate CM Punk, when he came to AEW after not being in the ring for so long, it was still a sight to see him coming out with such, you know, adulation from fans that get to be there for the first time back. And I think it's cool that Edge goes over there. I don't think it's a bad signing no. by Tony. I just don't think no. it's going to be like some game changer or anything. I, I don't think it, I never did. And, and Christian is another guy that, gosh, Jeremy Wyatt loves Christian. A lot of people love Christian. He's a very good worker. And I sort of like his sort of 
sort of kayfabe, keeping in kayfabe like heel persona he has now. But I just, um, you know, I really they're, they're really I, good. His his comments to uh, Brian Alvarez at the media scrum was really really funny. It, it was really funny. funny. It was funny. Um, but I rumor has it also, by the way, this is just coming over the news wire that CM Punk was actually the one responsible for running the NWL into the ground. More on that later. Oh, okay. He was the guy making pulling the strings. So That's yeah, right. Didn't want to tell That's right. That. Because he's a bastard. Um, so we all saw that the um, the NXT and coll- or not collision. And um, what was that? The show last night, Dynamite, when head to head Dynamite um, uh, coming from uh, Independence right outside of Kansas City, Missouri last night. And they have loaded, they loaded it up. The Undertaker was on NXT last night. The Undertaker was on NXT last night. It was wild. But I will say, that it's it seems like i mean literally the show dynamite like ran 15 minutes over last night 15 minutes so it looks like they were trying to start some sort of war again on a tuesday night random tuesday night i don't think that is kind of any news or noteworthy i just thought it was noteworthy that the undertaker (laughs) like confronted braun breaker last night is that going to lead to something most likely not he's not going to wrestle okay do you let me ask you this do you think that you know vince and triple h and the board and the creative do you think they did this on purpose like how much of it is like let's fuck with them or do you, how much is it i mean because i've seen a lot of chatter about this say of people saying like oh they're doing this to just be assholes they obviously take them as some kind of huge threat because of what they're doing and nope. i i've worked there i know how these people think they could give nope. a rat's ass about aew they gave a rat's ass about wcw uh even like they they cared about WCW when I was there, but they didn't necessarily like. I mean, they weren't counter booking because of it. I know no. that. No. So um, it, it's just funny. I I do think they're trying to make NXT like a more of an entity than it used to be. Than it was just purely like a sort of a grassroots. Like feels like it's amateur hour the entire time. All green people wrestling each other. I I think it's cool to make it a little bit more because you know what, this could easily, and look, it's too coincidental, of course, to just say zero of it has to do with it. It's going against dynamite. Right. But part of it has to be that, you know, they are ramping this show up because they are getting some mega money for rights and like, they're going to make this show more than what it used to be. Yeah. I, so I think, first of all, completely agree with you. I think Vince would care or we'll talk actually I want to talk about that real quick before we move on to Billy Howard and our our main feature about Casey on the mat but I don't think that Vince Triple H whoever's pulling the strings the board Endeavor I don't think they give two shits about um what AEW is doing really I mean they probably were like okay with turning the knife a little bit you know what I mean and saying like oh yeah we'll put this on just to kind of you know, sure. get, get, stab them a little bit more, but until AEW starts pulling ratings that are a threat until their market cap extends above a certain point until, 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 until they do not give a crap about what AEW is doing. They just don't, they don't care who's over happen. there. They don't care who is. It's just not a factor. They're going to capitalize on the people that leave. Obviously, Jade Cargill getting a huge push. Anybody that was a big megastar over there, they will snatch up and show that they will make that person a bigger star. Cody Rhodes, 
at CM Punk, most likely, if he goes back, that kind of stuff. They do not care one iota about a ratings, quote unquote, a ratings war with Dynamite, which, by the way, Dynamite was garbage. Actually, the first match was really good. Brian Danielson versus Swerve Strickland was actually very good. But other than that, not a great show. I, I yeah, I just don't think it's I, I just don't think it's a thing. I really don't. Two former WWE guys, Danielson and Swerve. Yeah, um, I think hey, I, good point. I think Jade. I think Jade has to go. Like I, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jade this week about why she went, why she didn't take Tony, because Tony made it sort of po- public there that he gave her, uh, you know, more than uh, she was asking, uh, more than she was asking for, and was shocked she left all this stuff. But I think everyone sort of sees how it is there. No one wants to bury Tony. I think everybody's happy that Tony's spending his own personal money to have this go on, so people can have jobs. I think that's all a, a positive thing from Tony. But I think everyone sort of sees what it is now. And if WWE didn't see that, they'd be re-signing everybody they would have signed edge to some crazy deal like they were doing before aew started because they really didn't know what was happening what was going to happen now they see who cares no one over there knows how to do anything correctly it's never going to challenge us if i I think their biggest challenge would have been a year or two ago uh you know and and it seems like it's sort of tapered off ever since then you know ever since i would say maybe like when punk when punk first got there and it was sort of going up you know, they had a lot of positive momentum. It was new. It was fresh. It was different. WWE was sort of floundering, all this stuff. And ever since then, it's just been two opposite directions, WWE up and AEW down. Now, granted, I don't think neither one of the shows are what I enjoy as a wrestling fan, really. Nope. So I don't I, – it's not like I think a, uh, WWE is, like, fantastic because – it's just not what I grew up and liked watching when I was younger. So it's right. not something that I think is perfect by any means, but they know how to make stars. They have the best production. They have the best shows. They have the best like leadership. They don't have like, you know, a guy that obviously has proven that he doesn't know what to do. And Car- and Jade Cargill, you know, take one look at that person, no matter how cocky she comes across or how green she is, you can look at her and be like, this is a Vince McMahon wet dream. She is a perfect, like, body, like, gal that is, like, looks like she's made out of granite. And, like, she's an African-American gal, which is different, too. I mean, they are going to push her, and they already have, to the moon with, before she even hits the ring. And yep. it's amazing what uh, they see in her because you can see, you know, much like Braun Breaker, but completely different scenario here she's been on national television already and her going over there is just gonna i i just feel like she's gonna go to the moon i mean like and she should have been that anyway but the problem is they do not have the training facilities the trainers the people over there to take that raw piece of you know whatever human and make it a huge star they don't and she realized that and she left i i i think you hit on something really important there it wasn't about the money for jade it was about, I, for me, th- there's two things that can't be a coincidence. One, she is a CM Punk person. She likes CM Punk, has been open about her appreciation for him. Leadership. She left because she wants leadership. She wants, a, you know what I mean? She wants that stability. You know, yeah, it may not be sunshine and roses because not every uh, everyone's calling their own shots. But the fact that they were willing to make her a megastar on the biggest platform, wrestling platform in the entire world that had leadership, I think that's why she left. Speak, speaking of leadership, Chris, um, rumor has it. Now, you worked in the WWE. We've talked about that a lot. You were a writer there for many, many years and a, a bunch of other jobs. Rumor has it that Endeavor has ga- given the nighting 
to Triple H to take over pretty much full creative control because me and you knew that Vince was back in the fold. Everyone could kind of sit, smell it. With the the uh, this past week's Raw, there was a lot of indication that Triple H is, in fact, in control because there is a switch from the way the shows are wrote and booked from him being in control to Vince. Do you think that's the case? And do you think that Triple H now has the reins once again? I mean, it's going to happen at some point just because of Vince's age. I mean, Vince's legal issues continue to sort of haunt him. You keep hearing like these, you know, murmurs of like, hey, now that the sale's done, uh, Vince is sort of a, you know, a problem for us, you know, in terms of the public eye as far as all these things coming out against him that are still coming out or still being uh, pursued by, you know, Mm -hmm. lawyers or whatever. I just think it's um, I, it's it's hard for me, Gabe, to watch the show and and be like, oh, this is a Triple H show. You know, I, I, I don't really know how people can factually do that more than, you know, like it's weird who got fired. Right. So like they brought they brought back top dollar and which I considered them, those guys to be under Triple H's realm, you know, right. and then they they then then they was fired. Then they were brought back. And then now they're fired. Some of them are fired again. So uh, there's some there. I I guess my point of saying that is there's some personnel on there that you're like, okay, there's your triple H people. These are Vince people, whatever fired or let go. That's because Vince is in charge. You could sort of say that, but I mean, the, the, the show has been with the Roman Reigns show with Heyman and all, you know, the whole, the empire, this thing has been going on for so long, the bloodline that uh, it's hard for me to sort of tell who's in charge, but at some point it's going to happen. I mean, it's triple H has become obviously the public face of the, the company uh, even through the endeavor by he's the one doing all the interviews. He's sort of the Stephanie now too, you know, he's sort yeah. of taking over the role of the face of it. Uh, the sort of the glad handing like goodwill person as well. So uh, look, Vince is getting up there and Vince, uh, you know, I mean, we'll never know if Vince had stage four cancer right now, we won't know until he dies. Okay. We will not know. No one will know anything. Who knows, you know, and who knows what's going on in their personal life. Uh, you know, I, I swear to God, like 10, 20 years ago, we'd be like, I don't know how Vince is still alive. There, there were doctors that were telling me, you see Vince's nose. It's so beat red. That means he's going to have a heart attack any minute. Like people would say <laughs> these things about Vince. And, you know, of course, when he's, when he's pumped full of whatever he was pumped full of, and he was like at the top of his physique, when he's 60 years old, you're sort of like, yeah, I mean, like, obviously that's not natural. And there's things that are probably going to play a factor later in his life. But, um, I think it's only good for the baton to sort of be handed off. I mean, you, if you take Vince at his word, he only came back just to sort of help facilitate the sale and get this Endeavor deal done. Uh, usually you don't know the full story when he says stuff like that. He really right. wants to be back in power and change the board and all this stuff. But, you know, I I, uh, I think I think a change will be made purely because it has to in terms of just his longevity of life and just sort of transitioning with Triple H, the guy's – sold his company for $9 billion. I don't think you could ever ask for anything better than what he got. So, you know, I agree. I think, uh, I think it's, like you said, it's only a matter of time. If the baton hasn't been passed already, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's in the, in the process, but Hey, good for WWE making some positive steps. Morale always seems to get better, especially for the younger people. When Vince isn't in charge, they brought back John Cena for a run until that uh, actor strike is over. Rock is most li- he- most likely headlining WrestleMania, which we'll talk about next time here on the show. But Chris, let's talk 
about Casey on the mat. Let's talk about the, you know, uh, the recently departed Billy Howard. Yeah, so Billy Howard, if you're not uh, Kansas City wrestling fans or Midwest wrestling fans, you may or may not remember Billy Howard. Um, you know, he stopped wrestling in the mid-'80s, so you'd have to be pretty old to remember him uh, seeing him live in a ring. But Billy Howard was uh, sort of an ambassador to wrestling in Kansas City for many, many years. He, gosh, I, I want to say he was from Minnesota. I don't know where he was from originally, but he uh, was a journeyman. He wrestled for um, – Angelo Paffo's ICW very much called a outlaw show back in the day uh, in Memphis area. And uh, he went by a name. I think it's Radamias or Radamus or I don't exactly know how to say it because I've never seen the video. But what I because there's no video on YouTube or anything of this. And I really haven't seen a lot of the Paffo's ICW. But they they claim that he had somewhat of a gimmick that some people have sort of uh, compared to Abdullah the Butchers, where I guess he was just sort of like a didn't really speak and sort of had that crazed look in his eyes and would like do crazy things to people, you know, bloody them and just sort of be sort of a mauler. Um, and that's what he did. And that was maybe his biggest push as a wrestler when he was with the Poffos. But uh, he made his way to the central states in the 70s. And, uh, you know, he was just uh, in and out of here for, you know, 15, 20 years. Um after he got done with wrestling, uh, he was known in the area because he was friends with Larry Sharp. And Larry Sharp had a wrestling training company called the uh, Monster Factory. And right. a lot of people have heard of that because it's up in the Northeast. I believe it's in New Jersey. And they had a version or a franchise or an offshoot around the Midwest. And I think it was in Kansas City for a while because Ace Steels told me about this. And it was called the Monster Factory. And when you called it, it was Billy Howard who answered the phone. And they did that for a while and it eventually dissipated maybe from, you know, just lack of getting, you know, you know how wrestling schools work, but, uh, but it probably left after a while. And uh, so he just stayed here. Um, He continued. Everyone really loved Billy Howard. He was known as a very nice guy. He had a carpet company when I met him and it was called like new. So I would always call him and he'd answer the phone. He'd be like, like new. Every time when I called, and I'm like, Billy, it's Chris Goff. Oh, hey, Chris. And he was such a great dude. He lived um, up north. His family lived here. Uh, he, in his carpet company, he would employ like the likes of Mike George and other guys who had wrestled, you know, to give them jobs. Um, it's just, a, I don't know, man. I just can't say enough great things about Billy Howard. And so, when I was doing uh, Casey on the mat, uh, you know, I start with, uh, and that's where I want to tie into the documentary on Central States Wrestling. Again, you can check it out on YouTube and just the. Can you link it in the description, KC. Chris? Yeah, we can do that. Casey okay. on the mat. It's on YouTube, and um, I started doing. So I pitched this uh, Central States history uh, documentary in 2007 to my bosses, and at that time, I had done a couple like sort of popular shows on our channel and we were a 24 hour sports channel here called metro sports and uh we had like uh some trivia shows and some other like things that i had done and so they were giving me a little bit more um you know rope on what i could do so i pitched doing a wrestling documentary and they said yeah you can do that i mean at first it sort of started on the side like i i would get done with like my uh daily news stuff that we we're covering the chiefs or royals or whatever and then i would head out and go interview people. And I, and I, I remember specifically interviewing Harley race. They had a show, the WLW company that he had had a show in Harrisonville 
and I would interview him in Harrisonville at the community center. Uh, and then they would have uh, Bob Geigel. I went to his house and I, I've told you about Bob Geigel's house before. It's like walking into a time machine. I mean, there was like, it's like your grandparents' house had never changed in 50 years. And he just had wrestling pictures all over his basement. And he was very proud of all that. He had lived there for, you know, a hundred years. And uh, when I was talking to Bob Geigel, I was like, hey, who are some guys I should talk to that still live around here? You know, because I'm not going to get flown around to talk to people. So who can I talk to around here? And he gave me a list of guys. And they were guys that, um, that were sort of before my time that I didn't know that weren't necessarily on a national, you know, known basis. So you had guys like Roger Kirby, nature boy, Roger Kirby. Um, you had Tom Andrews, who was one of the interns back in the day. You had Richard Brown, who was the son of... I, I don't think it's arguable, but like some people sort of debate where the NWA started, but Orville Brown was the first NWA champion in the huh. late forties. And his son was Richard Brown and Richard lived in the Kansas city area. And he had some, if you watch the documentary, he had some really cool uh, memorabilia from his dad. I mean, title belts from the NWA from like the forties where it had a picture of his dad on it. I mean, I was sending pictures of those to Dr. Tom Pritchard. He's a huge belt guy. And I was, he was just, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um, he had pictures and programs and Richard Brown has also passed away at this point. He was living in sort of a retirement community and I don't know what happened to any of that stuff. I haven't oh seen it God. like on the market or anything, but yeah, like so that, cool... that's what I was just thinking about Geigel's house and that, that guy, uh, what was his name? Brown, Richard Brown, Richard Brown. Like what happened to all that stuff? Like, I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, I, I would assume, I would assume if, I mean, if it was my grandpa or dad or whatever, I would, I would keep it, you know, yeah. <laughs> until for a while. Absolutely. Um, I mean, but, uh, but I, so maybe that's what happened. I, I huh. you know, uh, Bob, Bob Geigel had daughters, um, you know, and I'm sure Geigel had stuff, but he didn't, Geigel didn't really act like, he didn't really seem like the kind of guy that would have meticulous record keeping as far as all his stuff. He wasn't like, he didn't seem like so much of a collector as a, he had he had some memorabilia, but not so much like Richard Brown had this stuff in like like binders and like really cool stuff and right. he had these belts and it, it was awesome. just really cool. So when I was talking to Richard, it was just I had so much material from him for this documentary as far as B roll and pictures to put into it because he had kept so much of his dad's Man. early NWA stuff, you know. So um and and one of the guys that uh, Bob Geigo gave to me was uh, was Billy Howard. So I did not know who Billy Howard was at that point. So when I talked to him, he you know, Billy, like a lot of the old school wrestlers, when I, they don't know who I am, they, you know, it took a, took a minute for me to warm up for them to warm up to me, I should say, uh, because they don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, this is the mid two thousands. And so, uh, nobody, I don't know, not that kayfabe wasn't a thing, but they just, uh, they just didn't know what I was going to do with this. Right. So, right. um, so, so Billy Howard was a really cool dude. Um, you know, he, uh, he gave me, you know, Mike George's information and, and uh, he, he was just, he's a really good person. If you watch the documentary, you'll see that he, he offered a lot as far as just, um, you know, historical look back on the area. Another guy, uh, manager Percival, a friend, he was another dude that <laughs> I, he flew it. He actually drove in cause he wanted to be a part of this so much. And cause he was not from the area still, but he came in and I met him at Memorial hall and they let me go into Memorial hall and interview him on the floor in there. And it was so cool to be able to, he would, he was so emotional about being in there for the first time in many years. Um, and then John Cohn, who lived in North Kansas city at the time, this is before he moved full-time to Connecticut to, uh, you know, his, 
his family still owns that uh donut palace or the king uh donut king donut king it's up north okay and, like, i see a lot of like former metro pro and nwl fans will go to that donut place because it's got some memorabilia and stuff you know like some wwe stuff just because he's town relations and stuff and still but uh he was sort of my um oh like uh are they you know, good donuts documentary I, I'm, I is there a bad donut I mean, there's average donuts. Anyways, go ahead. I mean, I mean, I, I'm the better. Yes, Walmart. Uh, th- those are not as good. Walmart <laughs> ones are not as right. good. But uh, no, I think they're good donuts. I think they're known as having very good donuts. Gabe, you might want to run up there sometime and get one. But I, uh, so you know, John Cohn was sort of like my uh, guy that grew up watching it around all the guys, sort of fan perspective type thing. Even though he's in the business as well, so it was just uh, you know. Billy Howard again, just rest in peace for him. He is uh he is one of the great dudes to talk with about wrestling. Anytime I called him, we'd end up chatting for like 30 to 60 minutes just about random stuff. He'd ask about what I was doing, he'd ask about what wrestling's going on now. Cause much like when many of the old guys, they don't watch it at all. So they're like, events still uh running things, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's like, I mean, I know he knows to a degree, but he just sort of wants to get my perspective on it. That's funny. <laughs> so he um he was a great guy, so he will be missed. But, uh, man, it just made me think about, like, everyone that we've lost in just the last 13, 15 years since we interviewed all those guys. I mean, Harley, of course, just a few years ago. Uh, Bob Geigel was close to 90 when he passed away. Uh, Mike George, Mike George, I take it back. Mike George is still around. He was on our show, of course, yep. and he was up. Uh, he still works at the 7th Street Casino and lives up north. But uh, other than that, man, there's just – it's just um, – it's just going by the wayside. It's just sad. And it's, it's fun to look back at Casey on the mat and sort of, um, you know, sort of remember how, uh, I nervous I was to interview these guys. You know, I had been sure. with, um, Vince McMahon and on his jet and on his limos and watched him rock out to like the who and stuff. And like, you know, as I, these memories of Vince are just crazy. But then when you go talk to these like grizzled, like 67 year old guys that, could care less about Vince McMahon from the territory era. I mean, it's just a cool perspective to sort of see how they are and see what their thoughts on it. You know, a lot of times very negative, you know, there was a lot of uh, negative and a lot of heat based on what Vince had done to the industry. So um, when talking to these dudes about it, it was, uh, it it took a second for them to warm up, but uh, Geigel was uh, always like the, the best part of it as far as like sort of opening the door for everyone to sort of be more comfortable. And of course that makes sense since he was a promoter and sort of the leader of these guys in a form or fashion anyway. And uh, he was just an invaluable person to know and such a sweetheart. And, you know, I miss Bob Geigel uh, all the time. Um, one guy he did not want me to interview though was Butch Reed. And, uh, and because I wanted to have a Butch Reed perspective and um, he just sort of informed me that Butch Reed was not a very good guy. And, mm. uh, if you know anything about Butch Reed, he does have a lot of allegations about him, uh, you know, that you may want to watch or read about. I mean, it's nothing that's completely abnormal in the world of wrestling in the seventies and eighties, but it's nothing that's really like something that you want to lay your hat on either. So, um, so I, I listened to him and the funniest part about that is, uh, you know, at that point I was doing whatever Bob Geigel was like sort of telling me to, as far as like who to use, because I wanted to have his full cooperation and he was, uh, a lot, he was helping me so much. And so when we had the documentary completely done and we, my, my boss was like, you want to have a showing at Memorial hall? And we're like, yeah. So we rented out Memorial hall on a weeknight. We had live shots from there on Metro sports. Um, we're, we're all going in there and I had the entire 
all the old guys were going to be there signing autographs and taking Q and A's on the stage at Memorial hall. Wow. And so, you know, here's Geigel, here's Harley. They, Harley came up with Dan Geyer. I mean, it was a big deal. It was sort of like a red carpet thing for that kind of, you know, for a bunch of 70 year old guys or whatever, you know, but it right. was really cool if you're a wrestling fan. And, uh, that's the first time I met Rob Schamberger was, uh, was, I believe at that show. But, um, the, what was funny is, uh, they're all up there ready and stuff. And all of a sudden I get a tap on my back and I turn around, I'm in my suit ready to sort of MC this thing. I turn around and it's freaking Butch Reed. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I go, Oh, Hey, Mr. Reed, how are you? And he's like, yeah, well, I thought, uh, even though no one interviewed me about this, I thought I'd come here. And, uh, since I was a big part of it, I thought I should actually come here and be here tonight. I'm like, yeah, um, take a step Absolutely, on the stage. Mr. Reed. <laughs> <laughs> and Butch Reed is a, you know, he was a badass. You know, he beat the, he could beat the shit out of most people. Okay. So, um, was so he still Butch a big Reed dude took, when you saw him? Yeah. I mean, she, yes, he was in his 60s, I'm sure, but he was still, I mean, Butch Reed, if you don't know, was not only just a badass, but after he got out of wrestling, he became like a rodeo star. Okay. So he was sort of cowboy tough as well as wrestling tough, street tough, whatever you want to say. So the dude would show up. Here's this big old muscled up black guy in his sixties wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots with tight jeans, ready to kick the shit out of you. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you can go up there, Mr. Reed, whatever you want to do. You want to MC? Uh, Mr. Reed, would you you like an hors d'oeuvre? Like whatever you need. (laughs) Please don't it's hurt. Like a, it, is, it is a scene out of a sitcom. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Please take a, anywhere you want, you know, whatever. But uh, he went up there and, um, and it was a great night. Everyone asked questions. They took, you know, everyone, the, the, the guys, the wrestlers, they were emotional. You know, you could tell Bill Kirsten, the longtime wrestling announcer that was here. Like, it was just, they were all like happy to be there. Even Bill Grigsby, who I don't know if you know who that is Gabe, but he was a guy who was one of the first wrestling announcers here, but also a very well-known television personality in Kansas city, uh, who was a, a chief's announcer for many many years and uh, he would be with len dawson and i mean he was known he would always do the uh, price chopper he'd always do all these like things people would know he did jazz the like, louisiana kitchen commercials big name and so uh he lives up he lived up in parkville so he was a part of this as well they were all there and they were all very emotional they were all happy to see that people still cared about him no. and um you know it was it was it was a fun show And uh, when you go back and look, you know, I've tried on this show to get, you know, that's sort of how what spurned this, this podcast Mm -hmm. is sort of the fact that, you know, like, Hey, let's take sort of a look 10, 15 years later after that documentary came out about like, how how can we talk to some people, you know, let's get some perspectives now let's talk to them some more. And I've tried to as much as I can, but like I said, most of them are gone now. Yeah. Kiyosato being one that I never got to talk to for the actual documentary, but Getting to talk to him on here has been oh, cool and so uh, such a great interview. Such you guys should go yeah. back in the archives and check out that interview. Leave us a five yeah, star rating Ak- while you're at it. Akio Sato, uh, he was sort of a guy that didn't really trust what I was gonna do with it. So I think after you know, after it sort of went down, he's he's more open to that now. But um and I've told you I've reached out to Marty Gennetti, and <laughs> to his credit, when I talked to him, he said he he first he was pissed it was called the worst territory in the world i think i told you that and i'm like no it's it's not we're not burying it we're just sort of tongue-in-cheek about you know people say that about it but we don't think so it's our territory and he's like 
Oh, okay. Well, and he was very happy to know that Mike George was still around and he, he loved Bob Geigel. And he said he had a lot of irons in the fire right now. And he didn't know if he was going to do it, but you know, hit him up later or whatever. And to his credit, he did. He was, he was part of the blow off show of dark side of the ring. Right. With the crazy, with the craziest episode ever, perhaps. Yeah. It was pretty uh, disjointed episode really, to be honest with you, uh, with the whole murder, uh, yeah. behind the movie theater or bowling alley, rather bowling alley. But, yeah. but you know, um, it's just, it's, it's cool to go back and talk to these guys and, and see the ones that are still around when Kansas city was still a territory, whether you thought it was a good one or not is debatable, but, uh, there, you know, like we always say, the people that you grow up with in your territory, no matter how good or bad it is, those are always your guys. And you always think your territory is the best. Cause that's the one you grew up with. And everyone that I know that watched Kansas city central stage wrestling back in the day, they have nothing but fond memories of people like bulldog, Bob Brown, Rufus, R Jones, Bob Geigel, Harley race, stuff like that. And, you know, of course you hear, you know, every other people's perspectives that we, you know, flair and cornets and other people who, who bury Kansas city, but that is not what the uh, memories are of people that lived here. So um, that's, that's, and that's why we did the podcast and, and that documentary uh, continues to people still bring that up to me to this day. I'm glad that I got to do it and, uh, and have people um, give their thoughts on, on that paper that, you know, that, uh, that documentary and just being on YouTube has helped. Um, I have people still ask me for DVD copies of it. Cause there, there's still a website that says like, Hey, go to this website and buy copies for 25 bucks. And like, you know, of course I don't work there anymore and it's not available. The people that worked there when I was there were not there, but, um, you know, it's uh, it was a memorable time Gabe, and I'm glad it sort of spurred us into doing what we're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the really cool thing about it is, is because obviously this was before the advent of social media that during the time where, um, you were talking about on, on your, at, you know, on your documentary, but Chris, I got to ask, would we, could we possibly not we, but the world at large, could there be another movie, another documentary or a follow-up to that kind of thing? Cause you have that show, the wrestler or whatever it's called now on Netflix, um, about, uh, Alice knows OVW, which mm-hmm. by the way, could have possibly been about the NWL. I'm just saying, just saying there was talk. I, there was I, talk. I still think I, there was talk about that. There was like, and Until you I think it would have been more interesting. I think it would have been more interesting to be honest. So yeah, I, I think I've always wanted to do this. I think that we should do a documentary and we are kind of doing a documentary about the NWL do, uh, doing this show. Um, and I think, because truthfully, anybody who lived it, you talk to anybody, and we've talked about it with wrestlers that have been on here. We've talked about it with each other. Anybody who lived the NWL knows that it was it's one of the wildest stories in the history of wrestling. It really is. It's like this rogue company that sprung up in Kansas City and tried to do all these really th- like really big things. I I just wonder if there could be a sequel, like talking about the territory now. You know, if there is, in fact, because wrestling has tried to survive here, Metro Pro, NWL, before you ran both of those into the ground. And then like, um, you know, Journey, and then now you have uh, CSW and and CSW before, and then now you have, you know, these other companies springing up and there's always the Lurch companies that have always been running underneath. Like, could you make Uh a documentary about like all of that, like all that encompasses the wild and craziness that is, it feels like, I don't know, maybe it goes on in every metropolitan city that they have a bunch of different companies r- running at I think once. it does. Look but, at St. But, Louis, dude. Look at, oh, there's yes, 20 yeah. companies over there. 
I mean, St. Louis has probably got better companies than we got per capita here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking, I was like, you know, that would be cool to do it. At least it would be cool to do an NWL documentary because we've talked about this off air before. I, I've got the perfect like story arc and we could, you know, and we just got to get time, Chris. We just got to get the time and we'll film the documentary. I just think, you know, like as far as like you talking about, I do think the scene in Kansas city is just a microcosm of most towns. I mean, okay. you're going to have a couple that's, you're going to have one or two that stand out and the rest right. are sort of, you know, I mean, there's always going to be smaller federations around. Um, they come around. I mean, they come and they go. It's, yeah. it's a hard thing. Even when you're doing well, it's a, it's a hard grind to do a, it's an indie. Um, it's, it's funny because sort of like CM Punk indie wrestling especially if you're involved in it, you either have a love, hate, love or hate relationship with it because, you know, even though oh, I'm starting to pour here, even though I enjoy um, indie wrestling, it is sort of, it is sort of bad in terms of, you know, anyone can get involved. We were just complaining about this the other day, like how bad it is that people can do whatever, you know, I mean, it just takes a ring and you're, you're in the business and that's sort oh, of maddening to a degree. Oh yeah. Well, and I mean, look, I, it wasn't Look, like that I before. only had a ring. I only right. had a ring with Metro Pro. I at least had some background in wrestling, but right. you know, other people. So, I mean, you could argue like, well, you didn't have anything. Well, I mean, I did have, I did work for the biggest company in America for years, but indie and wrestling I, is and I started journey learning from you and learning from Travis Bowden and learning from a steel and learning from Jeremy. Wyatt. I had background in pro wrestling before I tried to jump into the promoters bin, but now you have people Okay, we're I'm I can't, dude. I can't. I'm gonna get it myself happens. in so much trouble by ranting about people that think they're freaking promoters just because they they have a podcast, they've dabbled their toes into it before, and and they can buy a ring and get a venue, and then they're but like, "That's all it takes, man. That's all it takes." Unfortunately, you know, I mean. It, that is what it takes in wrestling. And that's what it's been for many, many years. I mean, that's what it's been for 20 years, uh, at least 30 years, maybe, um, that if you can afford a ring, uh, even when I started, there was plenty of companies like that where people should, they couldn't even can, they couldn't take care of their own house, let alone like run a quote unquote wrestling company, but they still do it. I mean, so that's why uh, indie wrestling is so, um, I don't know, like, the good ones are great, but most of them are not. So uh, it's it's the OVW story is interesting only because it had a you know the the big past of being affiliated with WWE right. and having all the big names come out of there. You know, like it's funny. It's, 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 it's just funny to sort of be like, well, you know, well we had Brock Lesnar and John Cena and Batista. No, you didn't. Like that was something that happened 15, 20 years ago right. when WWE was feeding them to you. Right. OVW for years has been living off that reputation, but really it's just another indie. Yeah. Right? Right. They have uh they have some TV down there and have a little bit more notoriety from your average bear just because they had that link for many years. But you know, ever since Cornette left and WWE pulled out their affiliation, they're just another indie. The NWL is interesting only because I, you know, well, we know more about it than, than your average person, but it's just a, it was something that i never considered uh, ever happening in Kansas city, first of all. And secondly, like just the, uh, the gravity of that he wanted to take it and just the, the huge ideas that major Bazin had not to mention he had the finances for a while to pull it off. And um, you know, that, that to me is a more interesting story. 
than just, you know, what I'm watching with the wrestler. But, you know, that's just because we know more about it. Every time you say like Major Basin had the financial stuff for a while. And, and then in my head, I keep saying the same joke over and over again until you until you ran it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. I had all the I, I made all the financial decisions. I, I wanted to spend. uh uh, what was it? I wanted to buy uh, the the Mancini stagecoach boots. That's right. That they were worth that. That 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 anyway. was that was all your that was all your call. That was yeah, all your call. it was all me. It was all well, me. now well now we are definitely banned from all their. Oh wait, never mind. Oops. Well, I, I'm um, really but sad. I mean, I would have never have thought about starting. Back to our original conversation, I would have never have thought about starting a promotion, and maybe it's because of the way I was brought into the business. Like I like. I would have never started a promotion if I didn't have firsthand working in the business knowledge and then try to translate that into promotion because it seems like a fool's errand to do otherwise, but it is what it is now. And people are jumping into the ring. Congratulations to all those that are thinking that they're going to achieve some sort of superstar. And I will tell you being a promoter is the hardest job in the world. It's the most thankless job. You're never going to make a dime. Just drill that into your thick freaking skull. And it's, you know, indie wrestling, as I've told everyone that gets involved in it, you got to love it. You got to want to do it. You got to give your time and money and energy to it. Uh, you'll make enough money. If you're, even if you're successful, you'll make enough money to keep enough money in the bank yep. in case to, something bad happens, but otherwise, or to a, put, just put on the next show. That's what we were doing in journey. It was just like a constant, well, you do, like you put on the next show, but like, then you always want your shows to be bigger. So you bring in yeah. bigger talent, your yep. budgets are bigger, go to a bigger building, get some better production. All that yep. stuff costs money. So then at the end of the day, you're really just breaking even. But yep. if you consider it like a fun hobby, it's your, I always said uh, the way I told myself is that it's sort of like my uh, poker night with the buddies or, you know, yep. I don't really do that very often. So um, this is what I'm doing. And as you get older and you do it for a while and you're like, you, you realize this is going to be it. It, it. It's it's the same as like Paul Heyman of ECW, right? I uh, For the longest time when I was younger, I was like, why didn't he just continue doing ECW the way he was doing it for like five years there in right. the middle? Because I thought it was great. But the problem is most people that are in charge of something like that don't want it to be the same for a hundred years. They want right. to, they want to keep growing or kill yep. it. That that's what most people want to yep. do. And uh, those who like enjoy staying at the same level for a long time, I, you know, God bless you. I just wasn't that kind of person. Neither was Paul Heyman or a lot of other people that have done this. And um, I think at some point everyone realizes that you're never going to get much bigger than you are. So, you know, that's what it Let is. me ask you a question, Chris. We kind of joke about it all the time, you know, um, you know, various different subjects. Is there ever a world that you can see where you would come back into the wrestling business on a at least a part-time basis? No, not at all. No. Okay. I, I mean, I just from my own personal standpoint, I Again, we jo we joke about it a lot, but I'm seriously asking like is there a situation uh, of course, there's always like uh, there's always like uh, the nostalgia factor of like people reposting stuff at Metro Pro and be like, we need another reunion show soon or, or NWL or something sure. like that. But uh, that, you know, that would just be a one off or whatever. Um, it's just that it's just so different even from when I was doing it, man. Yeah. I mean, it just is like, I mean, I started now, what, 13, 14 years ago doing this stuff. I mean, that yeah. was a long time ago. It's an eternity in wrestling now. So I'm like, uh, it's not it's not the I don't feel because of the. 
I guess in a good way, like a lot of the indie wrestlers that would have been available now are now being taken up by either NXT or AEW or, you know, people are climbing their way, trying to get into those companies more than they were when I was, when I was running. So it, it sort of limits the caliber of wrestlers you have available to you as a promoter on the indie level now. So it's not, it's not even, and I saw that coming like six years ago or so, where it's just like, man, I, I sort of see what's happening. There's some people aging out, some people coming up, and I just didn't really see um, at that point. I'm not saying it can't change or hasn't changed or whatever, but at that point I, I remember saying to myself, like, I don't know who the next big draws are, and I don't really – and it's going to be more difficult to run these shows. And, you know, it's just gotten more and more splintered as far as not just wrestling in, in and of itself, but like other things that people can do. Uh, you know, now there's a damn pickleball court everywhere, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holding an outside wrestling show near a pickleball court. Um, all right, Chris, we're going to wrap this up, but before we go, I do want to ask you one follow-up question to this kind of have some, a little bit of fun here. If you were to book an NWL slash Metro pro reunion show today, today, give me two matches you would like to book and two matches you wouldn't like to book. (laughs) Give me two wrestlers. You wouldn't book. I'm just kidding. Just give me two Um, matches that you would, that you would like to book that maybe you never got a chance to in the first round of either company. Oh man. That's well, that's not, um, I mean, uh, (laughs) for nostalgic purposes, um, some kind of match between Strider and Wyatt or Ace involved in that would be some kind of like, I wouldn't want a triple threat match with that. I'd want like, uh, either you'd have to have Strider Wyatt again, or you'd have to have like a foundation taking on, you know, uh, the howlets and somebody, you know, I don't know. Uh, or, um, like just out of like pure, like, you know, hilarity for me, it would be like some kind of uh combination of Cobra Kai dojo slash best friends, whatever you want to call them, uh, or not best friends, but what were they? Besties, the besties, no, besties the world, yeah. uh, versus, um, you know, the uh, commission, you know, okay. uh, because the, the commission were super over. <laughs> even though that really pissed off a bunch of other workers. But, um, uh, you know, I saw this past weekend, I saw that the Iceman and Jeremy Wyatt both wrestled uh, my old friend Ryan Drago, a.k.a. Simon Gotch. Yes. And he was a guy that I always I always enjoyed him coming to Metro Pro. And when he left to go sign with WWE, it was like a cool send-off he gave us. And, like, uh, he was always a fun dude. But um, ACH, another guy that was a huge dude. Uh, you know, here, here's one. Um, I would either have like Adam Pierce versus Strider or Adam Ooh. Pierce versus Wyatt. Ooh. Um, you know, those were always like classics. And you know, if you want to go real old school, you got like Trevor Murdoch still running around yeah. the NWA. Yeah. You could have Trevor and Bull Schmidt teaming up against the foundation. I mean, there's some there's some stuff you could have just to have some fun with it. Um, I'm sure Pete Madden would come down. Even if he didn't work, he would gig and get blood everywhere. <laughs> and, I was about uh, to say he would magic what about, man could come in. Yeah. What about Dag Draper versus Trevor Murdoch? Uh, I think that would actually be a really good match. I do too. Um, I do because too. Because they're not, uh, they're, it's not really a clash of styles in the sense that they're not like two big men going at each other, working like big men. I yeah. think, uh, I think Dak would be able to show his athleticism and Trevor would put it over really well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, dude. There's a there's a lot. And, you know, Ace is always something that you could throw Ace in there at any point too. Um, you know, how about how about uh oh god. How about Ace and CM Punk versus Strider and Wyatt? How about Ooh, that? Ooh. I like that. That would be fun. That would be I fun. like that a lot. Uh, that would be great. Uh you know, Strider and Wyatt could be the heels and yeah, you know, I don't know, man. It would be fun to, uh, to do that. But, hey, um, just have me be your gopher backstage. So I at least can meet CM Punk one time so I can get it out, get it all out of my system <laughs> and just say, hello, Mr. Punk, shake his hand. He'll slap me or do something and then uh, it'll be great. And I'll, I'll get it out of my system. I think I'm another sure really, s- huh? go ahead. I'm sure selling a punk to come to Turner Rec would not be very hard at all. Anyway, go ahead. So is there a venue that you never got to run that you would like to run? Uh, no, I love Turner Rec. Um, yeah, you, I, I mean, you do. I, I wish Turner Rec was like, I wish Turner Rec was like twice the size, I guess, or something. But uh, that was just like for TV and just for purposes of matches. That was just a really fun place. Uh, of course, it lit loved, really well. I loved running Memorial Hall. I mean, but oh, that's, it is just in a horrible to. place. It is a horrible place. I got, uh, I got, I got to like, run it. Why or not me run it? But I have to be a part of a promotion that runs it one time, just one time. It's dude, the parking and the neighborhood is. Just, oh yeah, it sucks. It's awful. Just, it's, I mean, like I look, I, I looked into it multiple times, and it's just like there is zero parking <laughs> there. Like I would feel like it's not. It's sort of some crime around there, so it's not exactly like an easy sell to you know children and families. So it's just. It's just, uh, but but that building is awesome, and the history associated with it is awesome. Uh, of course, was KCK ever it. awesome as a whole? Um, not in my lifetime. But okay, I'm sure yeah, there was a time where I it was. seems like kind of a wasteland. I don't know. Like, there's parts of KCK that are all right, but it seems like kind of like a little bastard child well, you know of, like, ck they, when they started putting up uh you know nebraska furniture mart when they started doing the woodlands was a racetrack up there yeah. and they had the big shopping center the legends that that and the racetrack i mean that just blew up out there so that part has been phenomenal but right. the parts you're talking about which is right across the river over by memorial hall eh, it's just always sort of been uh you know industrial slash yeah. uh i don't know my Sort of, sort of urban, I guess, as far as like it's sort of downtowny around there and stuff. And there's just, like I said, no parking lots, nothing. Um, that if you took, if you could take Memorial Hall and place it in like Overland Park, it would be, it would be really nice. But it's just so funny. You look course, across the river, you see this beautiful Casey Mo skyline, and you're like, what the hell is this? Like it's right across hey, well, the river. I can't, look, look, but Scottish rights right over there too. And I went like, yeah. most people didn't want to go there because they thought they were going to die. So yes, I mean, but that was all my doing. I wanted to run that place and I, I took us down. So anyway. <laughs> you, what people don't know about how deep you were in NWO, we could fill an entire show with like, Major Bazden, like, I want people to ask themselves this. Did you ever see Chris Goff and Major Bazden in the same room at the same time? Well, we do look alike. That's true. All right, Chris. Well, we've had a lot of fun today. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. But before we go, let's get our plugs in. Chris, talk about what is going on at the Peculiar Winery this weekend. Oh, this summer. This this summer. This fall has... uh been really great out here um 
Uh, you know, we're, oh, we got live music every Friday and Saturday. If you want to check out events, it's peculiarwinery.com. Awesome. Also, I am a realtor. I am the best wrestling realtor out there. And by wrestling, I mean, I don't wrestle myself or my clients, but I'm in the wrestling business and you're listening to this podcast. Anyways, if you guys are looking for a home, if you're looking for advice, if you're looking to sell a home in the Kansas City metro area, and I mean anywhere in the metro, give me a phone call. Get out your pens and papers. Write this down. Area code 661-236-9055. Or you can go to benmiller.realestate. And that is all we got for today. Chris, let's try to do this again next week, where even if we rant and rave about your destruction of the NWL, we'll do something fun. Awesome, man. Sounds like it. Let's keep this. uh, Let's go two in a row. That's cool. Two in a row. Let's let's shoot for two in a row. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed this. And don't forget, rate and review us on Apple, wherever you get your podcasting needs met. We really appreciate all the support. Get us up to that thousand likes on Facebook at facebook.com slash worst wrestling. For Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next time right here where we will pick the best time of the week to talk about the worst territory in the world. Goodbye, everybody.